welcome. Uh, if you haven't been here before, we like to worship. We're, we're sort of addicted to the presence of God, and, they, and that's that's uh, that's what we're built for—to worship. That's the best. That's 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 the truest. Everything else is a perversion of that. And uh, the presence of the Lord in His face is turned. His countenance is towards us. He says His countenance is towards the righteous. His ear is attuned to their prayers. And we're just so, so grateful that um, we show up and He shows up because He's in us. You know, we gather together. He is blessed. And we're, we're not here to, uh, to perform, that's for sure, right? We, uh, we just let it rip sometimes because it just bursts out of us and... Uh, we're going to explode, right, Marcus? We'll explode if we don't let it out because of the goodness of God. So uh, in family, we're, we can do that. <laughs> in the family of God, we're just like, you know, we're all a little odd. So bless the Lord. <laughs> like the brother over there. <laughs> bless God. Yeah. So we're, um, we're going to have communion today. And... Um, uh, so glad you made it back. If you weren't here at the beginning of the service, um, Bruce has been in and out because uh, his dad's in the hospital. Is he in the hospital now, Bruce? Yeah. Okay. So uh, John's had a couple of falls, and then because they're in Riverside, um, when John is in the hospital, then Bruce's mom, Ellen, is alone, and that's uh, John usually looks after her. So we can pray for John and Ellen and for uh, Bruce and Janice. And so Bruce is popping in and out. So, Father, we just want to lift up John and Ellen to you right now. God, and we pray your peace on them and on Bruce and Janice. God, we pray that uh, John will be able to come back to your side. And, uh, and Lord, that you would go before them. And, uh, Lord, whatever needs to happen for them, if they need a higher level of care, we trust you for that. And so, God, um, thank you that you love them, that you watch over them, and that you will be their good shepherd till the very end. And so I just put peace on every heart involved. And uh, we just thank you for, for your grace, uh, even in these difficult times, Lord. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. So Richard, I'll, I'll get you to come up. And um, maybe could Marcus and Crystal, would you mind um, serving the elements today? That'd be okay. This is really good. Because God did ordain it. Yeah. 
I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I give is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. That's a cross. And that comes from John 6.51. Let me tell you more about the supernatural food and drink. I like that, supernatural food and drink, which we get to taste. It is the only food and drink that is not based on fallen creation or dependent on the effort of the fallen man. When we eat and drink this supernatural food, we are preparing for the work of redemption and not creation. In the above verse, when the Lord Jesus said, he is the living bread, the word life here is the Greek word uh, zoe, which is the same word used in the uh, Septuagint, writ. <laughs> uh, something to do with the Greek enemies. Uh, when God breathes, breathes into Adam, and Adam received life. That's what the word is. Yeah, and, and that's in Genesis 2 7. While Zoe refers to the light that God lives by, Zoe is also refers to the physical light, health, vitality, and wholeness. The food that God's given us to eat is not perishable food, but living bread. Jesus, who came from heaven and was given for us to have life. There, there is some who think Jesus was simply talking about believing in him. But our Lord Jesus went to say on, For my flesh is food indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him, John 6, 55, uh, 55, 56. Did you know, did you know two different Greek words are used here for the word eat? When Jesus said, if anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever, John 6, 51. The Judaic Greek word, Sago for eat is used. Sago can be used uh, in a physical sense or in a spiritual sense, as in the, to feed on Christ. But when Christ said, he who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. John 6.56. The Greek word used for eat in, is trogo, which means to gnaw or crunch like when we eat nuts. There is no way you can spiritualize a crunching sound. Jesus was not talking about spiritual eating or feeding here. He was talking about physically eating, about chewing what is a crunching sound with a crunching sound. To understand more what our Lord was referring to. Consider what he was talking about on the night of his betrayal when he took the bread and gave it to his disciples, saying, 
take, eat, this is my body. And consider what he was referring to when he gave them the cup, saying, this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many of the, uh, for, ma uh, for many for the remission of sins. Matthew 26, 26, 28. Yes, he was talking about his coming crucifixion, but he was also initiating the Holy Communion, a physical meal. The communion is God's ordained way or delivering system for us to receive an unending, holy, useful, overcoming, and perpetual healthy life Jesus has for uh, has as we eat his flesh and drink his blood. All that is required is that you come boldly and partake, believing that his finished work qualifies you for any healing you need. Today's thought. The Bible tells us the whole multitude sought to touch him, for power went out from him and healed them all. Luke 6, 19. Our Lord Jesus' body emanates such divine health, power, and light that simply touching even the hem of his garment caused many to be healed. Mark 6, 56. Now, can you imagine the power we are ingesting when we partake of the bread and the cup, his broken body and shed blood? That says a lot right there. It's, uh, it almost seems to say that uh, there's more power in, in the bread and in, uh, in the wine. Lord Jesus, I believe you are the living bread who came from heaven and gave your life that I might have life. Thank you that you ordained the communion and the delivery system for me to receive the unending, holy, useful, overcoming, and perpetual healthy life that is yours. Thank you for infusing me with divine health, power, and life as I partake of the bread and cup. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this cracker, which represents your body that was broken. Broken so that we could be whole, healed, that everything we need is found in the work of the cross. So we take it now, believing in Jesus' name. Amen. And we thank you for this cup, which represents the shed blood for our sins. Thank you that because you died on the cross, we have no salvation. Thank you. Thank you for giving your life for us. And because we are saved, because we are yours, healing belongs to us, deliverance belongs to us, freedom belongs to us. And so as we partake of this cup, we say yes and amen to everything that we need, that you have provided for us in Jesus' name. Amen.
uh, Jesus wasn't into empty religion. He didn't believe in just the form of things. He, uh, he, believed, he believed in the reality of a heart, right? And what was going on in a heart and the reality in a life. And uh, so we know that this, this is not a, an empty practice when we share the Lord's Supper together. It is, it has life, and it's meant to bring life, and to give life, and for us to um, to reflect again on the sacrifice that Christ made on the cross, that um, his suffering brought us life, eternal life, eternal life now. And, um, you're in the first Peter study on Wednesdays, you know, you know that you know, Peter says, Christ suffered once for all time. That if we believe in him, we, we have access to the presence of God through that blood, through that suffering. And the Lord showed me in that time, I've never I've heard it before, but it didn't hit my heart until, um, you know, that Jesus suffered alone on the cross, that he went and the Father turned his face um, as Jesus had the sin of all the world for all time upon him. And he said, you know, God, why have you forsaken me? But he did it so that those who suffer subsequently would have the Holy Spirit with them through their suffering. So we are never alone. We are never alone. You know, we, I've sung songs that said Jesus died alone, but I don't think I ever just really got it, you know, when something becomes real in your heart and says, you did that. So that even those who suffer for your name subsequent to that will never suffer alone. He is with us, he paid the price, but his suffering was not like any suffering any of us will ever know. It cannot be, because he was alone. Um, I think just because of because of our time today, I think we're, we're just gonna we're gonna jump in. Um, I have had many discussions with many of you, and certainly Bruce and I, and um, at the ministerial, you know, in Hope, we have this unique thing where all, uh, not all, but many of the pastors and priests and ministers meet once a week and pray together. You know, let's just yeah. kill us and that's a pretty rare thing. <laughs> started like we were like meeting once uh, once a month and then we like skipped back to once like five times a year for planning advent walk and things like that and you know what brought us to pray once a week COVID. <laughs> and we'd meet outside in parking lots we'd meet in the anglican garden we'd stand outside and People would pull up. We've had times where we're standing in a circle in a parking lot and people would drive up and ask for prayer. And you know, um, it's a sanctuary for us to be able to just pray together and share and to believe for this community together. And I think it's such a comfort to know that um, the, the spiritual shepherds of the, of the town support one another and, and that we pray together for God's guidance. And the last while, all of us have just said, we don't know what's coming next. Do you know what's coming next? 
we don't know what's coming next. We, we, we don't. And all we know is, you know, the great reset word that God is doing this new thing. I just want to say, be excited. Don't get lost in the shuffle of, of switching out the old guard. And I know there's, there's times when there's a level of frustration because we want to go back to do something the old way. Because there's comfort in that. And it's familiar. But God is birthing a new thing. And he's resetting us to his word and the example that he set on earth for the disciples. Because he's coming and the church needs to be ready. And it also says that he doesn't do anything except he tells the prophets. And the prophetic voices are saying, there's a great awakening coming. There's a harvest coming. I love that we're called the harvest. <laughs> yeah. this, this fellowship is called the harvest. And God is getting us ready for the harvest that's coming in. You are the people who are going to receive the harvest. And I tell you what, and we've many of us have talked about this, when healing starts in earnest, when Jan is healed of stage four ovarian cancer, there's gonna be people hearing about that. When that plug is pulled, we will have so many people coming. And we need to be ready for them, right? To disciple them, to nurture them, to bring them into the family. And I think that's what God is doing right now. And he keeps saying to me, build resilient people. Build resilient people. That whatever comes down the pipe, we will weather it in Christ. But you know what? It's going to be a lot easier if we can do it together. Yeah. Because we're going to need one another. Cool. Yeah. God is building resilience in people. Um, Michelle Nurse and I had a conversation the other day, and we both used the word doldrums. I think I can't remember who used it first, but Michelle keeps a, a, a journal, and she's like, "It's in my journal, doldrums." Does anybody know what doldrums? What a doldrum is? Yeah, well, there's no wind. Okay, so it's actually it's actually a place near the equator where the the wind goes very calm, and if you get in there with a, a, a sailing ship, you can be in real trouble because unless you have an engine, you're completely stalled out, doldrums, when things are still and calm and not moving, subdued. It's also used of when there's a slack time, a sluggishness, a time when things are stagnant or static. And I want to tell you what, the world is in the doldrums. Yes. Yeah. I got a, a belated Christmas letter, if you could call it that, from my cousin's wife in North Carolina. And it was absolutely terrible. It was, they're not believers. And it, the whole thing was about COVID and shots and boosters and what they couldn't do and where they couldn't go. And they're representative of a lot of the world. And I just thought, 
these, there is, there, there's no hope for people who are in these doldrums and don't know what to do next because they have, there's no wind of the Spirit. And so we have been blowing. And doesn't that sound a lot like uh, Ezekiel 37 in the dry bones? Yeah. And God says to the prophet, speak to the wind to blow. And so we are praying for the wind of God to come and to blow fresh wind. And what's your response? What's our, my response is to put up my sail and to catch the wind. Steve, Uncle Steve likes to say, if you put up your flag, it'll flap in the wind and it won't go anywhere. Don't wave your banner. Don't wave your particular you know, thing that you're, you're on about. There's lots of people on about lots of stuff right now that is tangential to the kingdom. Don't get lost with your pennant, okay? Don't get lost on the thing that you think is super important that some of the rest of the body may not think is super important. Don't get lost. It'll flap in the wind. It's not going to take you anywhere. Hoist your sail, and the wind of the Spirit will fill it. So what does that look like? It means having a heart that is hungry. I, I read, just recently, I've been starting to read a blog by a young woman named uh, Jamie Rar, Rarbao. It's an unusual last name. And she said, you know, talking about navigating, to use the sailing image again, navigating these times. And she said, she felt like the Lord said to her, there's two keys, hunger and humility. And we talked about this a little bit at the ministerial, is this is the time when one person standing at the front leading is not going to be anymore. Because it's the time of the saints. It's the time of the priesthood of all believers. So less and less are we going to have one or two people leading the, you know, and it's not a show. This is just our, this is our encouraging one another once a week or however many times a week. But the equipping of the saints and the saints going out and doing the work of the kingdom. And it's going to take humility. Um, Lauren, if you could put up um, Luke 14 in the NIV for me, please. And I might have to look at it up there because I forgot my magnifying glass. Oh, that's not too bad. Luke 14. So I was reading in Luke, and um, and I, I'm, I sometimes when I read the words of Jesus, I don't know if you're like this. I'm like, this was in the natural. This was not the way to go about things, Jesus. Right? He says some very strong things. He says things that do not win friends and influence people because that's not what he was looking for. He says things that push people away, but for a good reason. And he's always after people's hearts. So I just want to pray because I don't want to be misunderstood. <laughs> and there's lots of... Uh, twisting of, of words right now. So, Father, I, I, just, I just thank you for the word of God, that it is living and active and sharper than a double-edged sword, and that it discerns even to the dividing of soul and spirit. And just as we read your word, I pray you would help us to reset our hearts 
that we would um, truly just give ourselves to you and to your kingdom in um, just in a completely complete way that we wouldn't have anything that we're holding back. Lord, when I read this, I just thought of how my first love, what I was like when I first got saved and how much abandoned I served you with. And uh, God, I, I just I just pray for, for your saints to return to first love, to have a hunger for you and your kingdom, to not miss anything that that we would see the kingdom come in our generation in power and glory and that you would use us, Father, even as we trust in you. It's your work. It's not by might. It's not by power, but it's by your spirit. Amen. And so I was reading in, uh, in Luke 14 and... Um, So uh, Jesus is at the house of a prominent Pharisee, and um, the, the first the first part of the chapter, they're arguing about law, and uh, I love that Jesus cuts to the heart of the matter here and says, if one of you has a son or an ox that falls into a well on the Sabbath, will you not immediately pull him out? And of course the answer is yes, and that probably they're a little stunned at that because their heart is saying that's the right thing to do but their law is saying that's the wrong thing to do so jesus is always after the heart i'm going to start reading at uh, verse 7. when he jesus noticed how the guests picked the places of honor at the table he told them this parable i'm going to read when someone invites you to a wedding feast do not take the place of honor for a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. So, if so, the host who invited both of you will come and say to you, give this person your seat. Then, humiliated, you will have to take the least important place. But when you are invited, take the lowest place so that when your host comes, he will say to you, friend, move up to a better place, and then you will be honored in the presence of all the other guests. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and all those who humble themselves will be exalted. So just in that first section, Jesus is talking about humility. And he's not, you know, we're kind of like, well, we don't have the seating thing at banquets, so this just doesn't speak directly to us. But he's not just speaking about a banquet, he's speaking about a lifestyle. And how do, how do we know that? because he talks a lot about humility. He says, truly I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself, in case we didn't catch what the comparison with a child was, therefore whoever humbles himself like this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. You know, a lot of times we don't um, sort of identify ourselves as being proud. I want to tell you what, every time you're offended, 
pretend you feel overlooked. Every time you make a judgment on someone else, you're proud. It's proud. And I don't know about you, but God's calling me on small stuff. I mean, like, call me on the big stuff too, God, you do. But um, stuff that I, you know, you sweep under the rug or you ignore, God is saying, let's deal with that. Let's deal with that heart attitude because that's what he's after, is the heart. And so, you know, um, Peter says, submit yourselves to God. Resist the devil. Here's like here's like a summary of how to walk the Christian life. Resist the devil and he will free, flee from you. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. That's a that's a that's a good piece of advice right there, Pete. Very practical. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. First Peter 5 6. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. I found some prophetic friends that um, I pray with on Mondays, and um, one of them said I see you going through this, like, what are those metal things called when you play croquet? And I'm like, oh, wicked. <laughs> like, and she's just, yeah, it doesn't look like you're going to fit, but you do. And I'm like, hallelujah. Uh, that looks really small. <laughs> and, you know, the, we don't always get to go where we want to go. But if we accept where the Lord is leading us, humbly, he will take us where we're supposed to land. Does that make sense? Amen. Where's that amen coming from? <laughs> Bless the Lord. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others as better than yourselves. As Terry Joe's not here. She's looking after her mom today. In the city, but the Philippians, she loves Philippians. Philippians 2 3, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others about yourselves. Above yourselves. Oh, so, Lolo, if you can go with the rest of uh, John, or sorry, Luke. Yep. Luke 14. I think we're at a uh, dinner party. Don't invite people who can invite you back. Invite the lame and the crippled and the blind and the poor, uh, and you will be blessed because they can't repay you, but you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. And that's the context for Jesus telling this parable about the king giving a big party. One of those at the table with Jesus heard this and said to Jesus, blessed is the man who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. This is one of those instances where Everybody's in a group and Jesus says something real difficult and, it, and it's like somebody feels like they need to say something and it's always awkward You know, that's like Peter's Peter does like he feels that like spot quite a bit There's some people that just can't have silence and so they're gonna jump in and say something It's always not the most appropriate thing, but they fill the silence and somebody says oh, yeah Like we'll, we'll eat at the feast in the kingdom of God and that's what the Jews were looking forward to uh, We call it the wedding Supper of the Lamb in the New Testament. So Jesus says, uh, A certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. And at the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, Come, for everything is ready. So this is in, in Eastern, Eastern culture. Um, 
and you know, the, they had traditional ovens and, and uh, things and slaughtering the animals. You didn't know exactly when the feast would be ready. And so they sent out like a save the date. We do that for weddings, save the date. <laughs> yeah. So they sent out a notice and said, on this day, we're gonna have a big celebration and people send back confirmation so we know, we know how many people to cook for. And that's what they did. And now the time has come, the servant is going out and saying, now the food is ready, you can come. So he goes up to those who have been invited and says, come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. And the first said, I just bought a field and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. And another said, I've just bought five yoke of oxen and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. And still another said, I just got married, so I can't come. <laughs> and the servant came back and he reported this to the master. And the owner of the house became angry. And he ordered the servant, go out quickly into the streets and the alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. And I know you all are very familiar with this passage. And Jesus tells it in the hearing of a bunch of Pharisees. And of course, everyone is Jewish. And so the invitation initially to come into the kingdom of heaven went out to the Jews, and it's going to go to the Gentiles, and that is going to be a shocker. That's going to rock their world. <laughs> but I want to say, as I read this, and I hope I'm not alone, as I read this, I'm the person being invited now. You know, the Jews don't even acknowledge that Christianity has anything to do with them. They don't own our Messiah. Their eyes have not yet been opened. So here we are. We're the people who have been invited 2,000 years later. And when the feast is ready, will we make excuses? I'm checking my own heart here. So I'm like, God, this is really what you want me to say because this is awkward. Jesus, sometimes you're just awkward. Isn't he? <laughs> yeah. He's awkward. Because getting to the heart of something is a bit awkward at times, and we'd rather just stick on the surface and say the good things sometimes. And I can say a lot of things that would build you up and, and cheer you on, uh, but sometimes, sometimes we just need to examine our heart. And I think going into this time, Jesus is, is getting us to reset our hearts and to make sure that he's got first place. So these guys gave their word that they were coming and the, the manager is not thrilled with their response at this time because he's already prepared the food. The first two responses are material. Um, I've bought a field and I've bought some oxen, but there's no way you, you buy, say you bought a house. You don't buy a house without going and checking it out. You didn't buy a field without looking at it. You didn't buy five, yoke of oxen without trying it out. So what's going on? Priorities have changed, right? I, I, I got other things to do that are more important to me than what you're doing, master of the house. And so I'm gonna go deal with those things because that's where my heart is. And the other guy says, well, I've married a wife. 
That sounds like a pretty good excuse. But you know, doesn't I don't think he's still on his honeymoon because they found him, and uh, he could bring his wife along. And so you know, here's here's family. When God wants us to look after our families, He does. You know, in the later on in the Book of Acts, they're going to say. This, your true religion is to look after your family first. We, they didn't have social services to look after their families. The people did it and the church did it. But if someone is putting family before God and saying, I can't do what God wants me to do because I'm, I'm, I'm looking after family or whatever that, whatever that looks like. So... Um, so here the servant goes back and says, go out quickly in the street and find anybody you can find. And this is a good servant that must have known his master's um, propensity because he says, uh, what you ordered has already been done. He was on that, but there's still lots of room. So the master told his servant, go out to the roads and country lanes and make them come in. It's like compel them, force them to come in so that my house will be full. And I tell you, not one of those men who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. Um, I just really praying for hunger in hearts of people right now because because God is trying to give the church power. This week I heard this phrase, purge before the surge. I like it. Yeah. The purge before the surge. Because God will not entrust us with full-on kingdom power as long as we are <coughs> looking the wrong way, that are, we're not keeping in step with him, our hearts aren't fully his, that we're going to take any credit, that we're going to use it for wrong, that we're going to lift ourselves up and say, I've got power and you don't, I've got this and you don't. It's about love. It's about love. And so I think the Lord just wants us to be so hungry and so hungry and um, so dependent on him for what he wants that we say and do the things that we see the Father doing and hear the Father doing. And I know that sounds like a big sort of assignment. But as we seek him, and you know, Jesus would get up early in the morning every day. Sometimes he'd stay up all night before a big decision. He would pray. You know, and I'm just, I, I just know God is calling me back into a way greater dependence than I have had. And this is what I feel that God is trying to do for us in the church right now, is to say, I'm calling you back to first love. Don't put anything else. You know you know what stands in the way of best is second best. It's not, it's not gonna be something rotten. It's gonna be something good that stands in the way of best, but as we put him first and seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, all those other things will be added. As long as we're pursuing the thing that is second best, the thing that's good, but not him, it's an idol, and he will bring it down.
do well. But as we put him first and seek first the kingdom, those other things will fall into place. So he goes from there. Uh, the next story in Luke is the cost of being a disciple. And these words are like really hard words. And you kind of think, wow, like if you were trying to win friends and influence people, these were not the words to speak. <laughs> but that's not what he's interested in. He's building a kingdom. He always has been, and he always will be until he comes back, and then it's done. And then he sets up the kingdom on earth. And so large crowds were traveling with Jesus, and turning to them, he said, you know, large crowds, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. And anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. And you're thinking, there's a lot of people there, and they're listening, and he's like discouraging them, isn't he? He's discouraging them. He's, he's saying, count the cost. Don't start this thing if you can't finish it, because I want everything. You know, I remember when I got saved, it was in first year of university, and I came home and I sold everything I had. I had a bicycle, I had a really good bicycle, a really expensive bicycle. I sold my bicycle, and I sold the pictures off my wall in my bedroom, that's about all I had, didn't have very much. And uh, I went to south of France to preach the gospel. I had nothing. And, and, I, and I, I just remember those times of being so dependent on God every day for everything. And I know we're not all supposed to be vagabonds, I get that. But there is a heart condition that I was examining my own heart and saying, oh God, I, 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 I want that fire renewed, rekindled that fire in my heart. So he says, you cannot be my disciple, he says to the crowd, if you don't carry your own cross, the Jews were pretty darn familiar with what that would have meant. Because as we know from the account of Jesus' death, they were to carry the horizontal, the cross beam, to the place uh, where they would be crucified and nailed to the cross. And at one point in 4 BC, a Roman general had 2,000 Jews crucified at once. I don't even know what that would look like. And they're carrying their crosses down the road. So the, the trip of a cross is one way. There's no return trip. And through the years, I think the North American church, and, and probably all over the world, has watered down the invitation. And, and again, don't mishear me. Salvation is for everyone that will come, for anyone who accepts, and it's Free. But if we undersell, that's not the right word, but if we don't speak the words Jesus spoke and say, have them understand the cost, then we have done them a disservice. God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. That's, uh, that's the beginning. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And, and because we sold a soft gospel 
that was unbalanced to the side of love. I, I know, again, some pretty stern looks here. You, you cannot have too much grace and too much love, but if you don't give the whole picture, then we get it. We get people who who feel deceived, and when the tough times come, they buckle under the strain because they didn't understand what they were signing up for. So I think what we are going into in this time, and I didn't want to preach this message, honestly, but this is this is what I felt the Lord was saying, and that that as we, you know, I think Jesus would say these things, and people would look at him and see the love, like that they were like, I'm coming anyway, right? Some of them, not all of them. The rich young ruler comes and says, I will follow you anywhere. And Jesus says, well, he says, what do I have to do? Jesus says, keep the commandments. He says, yeah, I've done all that. And Jesus says, go and sell everything you have and then come and follow me. And somebody wanted to hear because the Lord looked at him and loved him and said, I see you have an idol in your heart and it's material stuff. Let's just, let's do some surgery on that right at the beginning. Let's cut that out. Because I love you and I don't want you to miss the kingdom. But sometimes we haven't preached the whole gospel or brought people to face the stuff that's actually in the way of their coming into the fullness of the kingdom. We don't do them a service. You can fill seats. But I want to see everyone with, you know, their bottom in a seat and happy. And I want them to know that Jesus has what it takes to get them there. But it might not always look real easy. Jesus says, foxes have holes, the birds have nests, but I don't have anywhere to lay my head. Are you ready for that? I think that if you're watching the, the TV series The Chosen, they're doing a pretty good job of that. It's been pretty controversial in some of the episodes. But they're showing that the disciples paid a, paid a price to follow him. It was awkward. It was odd sometimes. It was difficult. And they paid a price. They were, they were ready. They were ready to pay the price. So hunger, how hungry are we? Um, I, I, I uh, always said to, after I became a believer and I said to Gordon when we got married, I said, I will, I could live in a house for about 10 years and I'd fix it all up and then I would be so bored. <laughs> and guess what, this is, I've never lived in a house for 10 years until this house. And I'm like, God, I, I Whatever you want to do with this, I am good because kingdom is so much more important. And I and I, I know your hearts are your hearts are there too. So Jesus said some very very hard things. Uh, somebody came, teacher of the law came and spoke to him, and he he said, uh, "Just let me go back and bury my dad." Well, evidently his dad hadn't died yet, but. Um, Jesus said, let the dead bury the dead. 
Ouch. Ouch. What is that? He says, let the spiritually dead look after these things. You follow me. So, you're not, uh, I'm not, uh, these are Jesus' words. And I'm, I'm just saying, I think the time has come, if it's already past time, that we re-examine how Jesus brought people into the kingdom so that they will finish the race well. So he's talking to a big crowd, and he, he uh, so he says, anyone who doesn't carry his own cross, you know what, your cross looks different than mine. It's interesting that he says that, right? His own cross, the cross that you have to carry down the road. He says, take up your cross daily. It's a path of death to get to life, but that's the contradiction of the kingdom of heaven, isn't it? The first will be last. The last will be first. You die in this life to find life. But it works. Suppose one of you, verse uh, 28, I think, yep. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Will he not first sit down and estimate the cost to see if he has enough money to complete it? For if he lays the foundation and is not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule him saying, this fellow began to build and was not able to finish. Has anybody done renovations? <laughs> yep. So what's the saying about renovations? They cost Lots twice as much yeah. and they take twice as long. Yeah, yeah, now there's some smiles. Okay, so if you've been involved in building and renovations, you know that is true. I think it's so timeless of Jesus to use an example of building because it's always going to cost more than you think. And so here he is in the kingdom at the outset with all these people who are riled up because he's saying interesting things and he's healing people. He's, he's raising the dead. He's touching lepers and seeing them cleansed. And people are getting excited because that's the real kingdom. That's the proof of the kingdom. Deliverance from demons. That's the proof of the kingdom. And so people are looking at this guy and going, I want in on that. That's cool. Yeah, we'll do that. Absolutely, I'm on that. I'm all about that. See you, Mom. I'm going. There, people are following him. He is charismatic. He is an interesting dude. When the kingdom of God breaks out in power, we're going to have people come for all sorts of reasons. For all sorts of reasons. And we are going to have to help them find the true Jesus in that. And he is not a slot machine. He is not your candy daddy or whatever phrase I'm looking for there. He, he is he is God. He is God. So he says, if you're building a tower, sit down and count the cost. Or here's another example. Suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Will he not first sit down and consider whether he's able with 10,000 men to oppose someone coming against him with 20,000? If he's not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long ways off and will ask for terms of peace. In the same way, any of you who does not give up 
everything he has cannot be my disciple. He's not a, he's not a sort of a guy who bargains, right? He wants it all. He wants it all. He's going to purge before the search. And so I think he's just getting us down to the basics, right? Getting us down to the heart of the matter. Because flesh will not stand in the presence of God. We can't do this in our own strength. I'm so glad I'm talking to you guys. Right? I'm so glad God is building a body that wants him. Like I can look at you guys and go, you, you want God. I know you do. Because none of us is going to do this alone. But I need you to talk to me and tell me truth, even when it hurts. And you need me to talk to you and tell you truth, even when it hurts. So that we're staying in the groove, right? Staying in step with the Spirit. So I know this isn't going to be on the top ten hits of uh, messages ever spoken, but it's Jesus' words. So I'll just finish the chapter. Salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's neither fit for soil nor for the manure pot. That's really blunt. <laughs> but it's thrown out. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. So Jesus is a he is an amazing person, the best teacher that ever walked, an incredible orator. He wasn't out to win votes. And I think, you know, I'm like, God, so where does this land? Where does this plane land? What's the point of going here? It's not to make me feel bad. It's not to make you feel bad. What, what are we on about here? And I think one of the things that, that God is uh, wanting us, one reason he wants us to be hungry and humble is because this place has a destiny on it. And God wants to bring his kingdom and power everywhere. But I tell you what, there's something about hope. And I have people giving me words for hope. And you, I just like, I'm like, wow, okay. I'm just writing them down of the destiny of this place. And it's a lot of you have know you've been called to this town. And it's for, it's for a purpose and a reason. There's a verse in Ezekiel that says, I looked for someone among them who would build up the wall and stand before me in the gap on behalf of the land so I would not have to destroy it. If we are hungry and humble, God is going to use us to stand in the gap. What's the gap? Walled cities. City-state had a wall. That was its protection. Canada has lost hers! Canada has lost her wall! It's so full of holes! But if each one of us, like in Nehemiah, would stand in front of our wall, in front of our house, in front of our street, in front of our community, in front of our town, and we would rebuild the wall, if we were so hungry and thirsty to see righteousness come, God will rebuild the wall! But he's got to use Christians! We're the only ones! 
tried to say Sodom when Lot was there. Abraham stood in the gap. He bargained, he bargained with God. He was so bold. He knew the heart of God. He didn't want to destroy anybody. He doesn't want that anyone should perish. Moses stood in the gap. The people made a golden gap. The people had seen all the plagues. The people had crossed the Red Sea. The people who were invited to this banquet were invited to a wealthy man's banquet where everything was prepared for them. They got clothes as they went in. That was part of the deal. And they said, yeah, no, I think I'm good. But the hungry said, I'm about that. I'll do that. I'll take that because I'm hungry. But the people who are not hungry, sometimes they let people put in the Joshua Project and turn up their nose at what we served. And I said, I don't think you're very hungry. I was telling them, if you're not hungry enough to eat what we're serving, you're not hungry. Moses stood in the gap when the people made the golden calf, even though they'd been through all those miracles. And God said, hey, Mo, I'll just start over with you. Let me wipe them out. They are so stubborn and stiff-necked. And Moses said, no, if you don't go with us, I don't go. You're going to redeem these guys. Stephen prays for the people who are stoning him. He's standing in the gap. Jesus says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Paul says, I would die to see all of Israel come, that the Jews would come. And Hebrews says that Jesus continually makes intercession for us. Paul says, we are to make intercession for others. I urge you that supplications and prayers and intercession and thanksgiving be made for all people. 1 Timothy 2, 2, 1, I'm going to say that one again. 1 Timothy 2, 1, I urge you that supplications, prayers, and intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people. This is the only way we're going to see this happen, is through prayer. Because someone said, without us, he will not. Without him, we cannot. We are completely and utterly dependent on him. So, Father, that was fairly dramatic, and um, we we just want to hear your words with fresh ears. You said, "For him who has ears to hear, let him hear." And I know that none of my brothers or sisters want to miss out on anything you have for us. We know your love. We know your goodness. We want to see people come into your kingdom. We want to see people equipped to uh, thrive in your kingdom and grow and be resilient. So God, as we sit before you, may your Holy Spirit uh, just quicken your word to us that we, God, will not be guilty of, of um, just not, not according the weights to your word that it, it, it demands. In, and that we would obey, that we would hear your word and we would obey and we would be uh, believers who really carry the gospel in a way that is worthy. We don't want to power this gospel. So God, we believe that you are purging us in order to uh, bring the kingdom in man manifest ways in signs and wonders. 
would you continue to purge us? And would you give us great joy? Every time the disciples gather together, it says in the book of Acts, we baptize them in joy. And so, Lord, I'm asking for joy. The joy of the Lord, that's our strength. The joy of the Lord to be called into your embrace, close to your heart, to know your joy, to know your purposes, and to know that you're carrying them out through us by the power of your Holy Spirit. We bless, we bless these people, Lord, and all those who name your name in this town and God in our nation. Do a work, God, as we, each one, stands in the gap. I have been interceding and standing in the gap alone for a long time. And I believe that God has got intercessors here who are on their own or maybe together standing in the gap. So I would put out a call for all intercessors. If you had it on your heart to join and pray for what Sue just brought, please contact her and we'll get together and we'll pray and we'll stand in the gap and God will do wonderful things. Amen. 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 Currently we're um, meeting Friday night at, at 7 here. Um, Friday night I know is not a good night for everybody, but if you want to pray on a, a different time, a different night, and um, I haven't asked Suzanne this, there's a Friday morning prayer meeting. If it gets big enough, we can move it to uh, to a place where more can join, I think, huh? because I think that's it's the time. Yeah, so if, if you want to talk to me about those things, or if there's, you know, call some call somebody. You can pray on the phone, and we pray over Zoom, whatever it looks like, pray, pray together, but uh, God is calling us to pray. Yeah, all right, blessings, blessings, blessings. He is well able.